You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Associate Minister Kirk McKenzie. Jesus loved to tell stories. In fact, his main method of teaching was to tell stories. And he liked to just tell the stories and often just leave it at that and leave his audience, whoever's listening to the story, to sort of work out what the story meant. Occasionally he would give an explanation of what the story was about, but that explanation sometimes left you more confused maybe than the story itself. Or sometimes he'd give an explanation, but only to a select group of people like to his disciples, but not to the whole crowd who was listening. Sometimes the explanation was really thorough and he'd go through a lot of detail, this bit meant that, and this bit meant that, and this bit meant that. So there's quite a variety in the way he went through his storytelling, but that was his main way of teaching. It's quite different to the way we often do teaching in our Aussie Western culture today. We do use stories from time to time, and particularly Aboriginal people and have a big focus on storytelling, but often in our classroom setting, it's a bit more, you know, point A, point B, point C, you know, summary points and that sort of thing. And we like to wrap things up in a nice little package. And to be honest, a lot of our church teaching is like that. The talks that we do here in our church services are often a bit more that style where we do like to have, you know, a nice summary point and, you know, have a, a bit of a, an orderly structure to things. And that can be good, that can be helpful, and that's kind of what we're used to. And that's not what we're gonna to do today. And now, we occasionally we'll do these biblical storytelling style talks where we lean a bit more into the way Jesus did things, where we just look at a story in the Bible, and today it's gonna to be from John chapter 20, verse 24 to 29, where we just look at the story, and then we just ask a bunch of questions. And today, I'm gonna to do that, and I'm not really gonna answer all these questions for us. Now we have a few questions that we love to use uh, and that we find really helpful and we think these questions can be actually useful in any passage that we look at. So let's put them on screen now and have a quick look at what they, can, uh, what they are and you can use these for any passage that you like. What was weird and what was wonderful about this story? What questions might your friends have, particularly friends who are maybe completely unfamiliar with the Bible, who have never heard this story before? What do we learn about people? And what do we learn about God? What do we learn about Jesus? What difference could this make to your week ahead? And who might be encouraged to hear this story from you this week? These six questions we've found really useful as a church. Many other churches find these questions useful. If you ask these questions about any passage that you read in the Bible, we guarantee that you'll come to a deeper understanding of it, whether you ask them just yourself or if you're in a group looking at the passage together. So I've been asking these questions as I've looked at this story this week, and I just wanna take you through some of the questions that have popped into my head, some of the thoughts that have popped into my head as I've looked at the story. Before we jump into the story and I tell you the story, let's just give you the background. What's happened before then? Well, we've looked at Jesus' resurrection, he was dead, but now he's back and he's appeared to a bunch of people. He's especially appeared to John, who's the author of this particular book in the Bible. He's appeared to his friend Peter and to his friend Mary Magdalene and to the group called the Disciples, which we think of 
uh, as probably the his close friends, you know, the disciples who were 12 but were down to 11 at this point because Judas had left the group. Um, but actually we realized that it was actually probably only 10 of them because Thomas, who was part of that group, wasn't there. We learn that in verse 24, which was where we pick up our story. He wasn't there when Jesus appeared to them. And so they've come to Thomas and they've gone, Thomas, Jesus is back. He's alive. We've seen him. We've met him. And he's really skeptical about it. He's like, ah, no, I'm not having a bar of this. I don't believe you. And then to quote him, he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, which is where the soldiers stabbed the spear into Jesus' side while he's on the cross, I will not believe. Now, you may have heard the phrase uh, doubting Thomas. This has sort of worked its way into the English language. You may, may, may or may not have heard this phrase, but people sometimes use it when someone's being skeptical. Oh, you're such a doubting Thomas, or don't be a doubting Thomas. Well, this is the moment in history where that phrase came from, where Thomas didn't believe his friends when they told him that Jesus had risen from the dead. And I don't know how you feel about that. This is a question that's like, oh, is he being too skeptical here? You know, is this doubt fair that Thomas has, or is it a bit over the top? And people have sort of debated this a lot. Some people have said, it's unfair to call Thomas the doubter or a doubting Thomas. It was totally legit to be skeptical. I mean, it's a resurrection. That never happens, you know, ridiculous. Of course he should be skeptical. But you might also go, well, hang on. You've got 10 of your closest friends there, people you've spent so much time with. Surely you've got a level of trust with them. They're all telling you it happened. And you've seen Jesus do a whole bunch of miracles, incredible things previously. Should you be that skeptical? I mean, surely you should be at least going, oh, well, maybe this is true. I don't know. What do you reckon? It's an interesting thought. Well, he doesn't doubt for that long because a week later, uh, they're in the same house that, they, that Jesus first appeared to the disciples. The doors are locked because Christians are kind of getting hunted by the authorities at that point. So they're kind of scared about getting caught. And Jesus appears to them again. And this time Thomas is there. Jesus says to them, peace be with you. And then he speaks directly to Thomas and says, well, put your finger here. See my hands? There's holes there from the nails on the cross. Put your hand here. Uh, you know, in the, in the big, big old hole where the spear, spear stabbed me, uh, and stop doubting and believe. And to be absolutely fair to Thomas, he's very true to his word. And in that moment, with Jesus right there in front of him, he's utterly convinced. He doesn't ask for more proof. He doesn't go, oh, no, no, you know, you could be an impersonator or anything like that. Now he's utterly convinced. And he says, my Lord and my God. Now those words, I have lots of thoughts and questions about. My Lord and my God. What a fascinating response from Thomas. He doesn't go, Jesus, you're back. He doesn't say, Jesus, you really are alive. He has a much sort of deeper, more theological response than that. He says to Jesus, my Lord, and my God. What does that mean? So Lord, a Lord is someone who's sort of the boss, they're in charge, they have a position of authority. 
So he's saying to Jesus, you're sort of in charge of my life. What you say goes. You have authority over me. And then he's calling Jesus God. And then you go, well, Thomas is a Jewish man, so a Jewish believer. The Jews believed in one God, the almighty, all-knowing creator of everything. And he's calling Jesus God. That is a profound statement. And I'm going to finish my talk today just leading us in a bit of a reflection on what Thomas says there. Then Jesus goes on and keeps talking to Thomas and says, Well, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who haven't seen me and yet have believed. Now, this is, again, this is an interesting one. And it's worth sort of stopping there and going, well, what's Jesus getting at there? Because you could go in one direction and go, is Jesus having a crack at Thomas? <laughs> like, let, let me say it again. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Because if you really took it in that direction, you go, is Jesus having a crack at Thomas? You go, well, Thomas, pretty easy for you to believe. I mean, I'm right here. I'm back from the dead. You can see the holes in my hand. You've had an opportunity to see the big hole in my side. I mean, I'm right here in front of you. It's really easy for you to believe. I mean, if you weren't believing right now, you'd have rocks in your head. It's super easy. I mean, the, but, but you know, the people who, who have not seen me, you know, the people and the people in the future who have not seen me, but they believe they're the real heroes. I mean, you guys here, you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating, right? But this is the idea that, like, is he, is he having a crack at Thomas? I mean, you could even pause the video right now and just, if you're with other people, have a chat. Like, do you actually think Jesus is talking down Thomas and the other disciples' belief in order to talk up other people's? Or is he just making a statement of truth? Is he just saying... Because you've seen me, you have believed. I mean, that's what's happened, isn't it? They've seen Jesus and they've believed that he's risen from the dead. That's literally what happened. But he's also making an important point, which is most people, including me and including you, if you're a follower of Jesus, have not seen Jesus' body walking around, but have believed. And that we're blessed because of that. Oh, but here's another question. What does that mean? I haven't seen Jesus, but I believe in Jesus, and I'm blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? I feel like this is a word like blessed, blessing, or bless you. Like this is things that we say fairly often uh, in church, but also people say it outside of church circles as well. Like, you know, it's, it's not an unfamiliar word to people outside of church. But what does it actually mean? Like when people go hashtag blessed on social media, what are they actually saying? Like actually, what do they mean? When people say blessings at the end of an email or at the end of a conversation, what do they mean? When you sneeze and someone says bless you, what, what's the purpose of that? I mean, maybe it's just a sort of you know, a reaction, you know, some, something that we just do. What, what do we actually mean? I reckon you could ask 10 different people what they what they think the word blessing means, and you might get 10 different answers. So when we read something like this, 
it's always good to go, oh, okay, what do I think that word means? And then if you're reading it with other people, ask them, what do you, what do you think that word means? And then more importantly, try and work out what the original author, in this case, John, what did he think it means? I mean, that's really what the, the most important thing. And, you know, some weeks I tell you what the original author means because I've gone off and done the research. But as I said, it's a different sort of talk this week, so I'm not gonna. <laughs> and some of you will be like, ah, what? <laughs> but as I said, sometimes Jesus would just leave things up in the air. Uh, and, you know, and so that can be good, right? That can be good. That's the way we grow and the way we learn is a sense that we need to pursue things sometimes and uh, we need to have things left up in the air for us, uh, not always wrapped up in a neat little package because that's what real life is like. So that might be something you'd like to go and research yourself. What does Jesus really mean when he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed? So it's really valuable to ask questions about these stories that we read in the Bible. This is just a short story. This is just Thomas's encounter with the risen Jesus. It's a really short one. It's only five verses long, uh, but there's some really interesting stuff that happens there. And we'll focus again just in Thomas's response in a moment. But I just want to remind us of those questions that we can ask of any passage. And again, you might like to pause the video and write these down uh, so that you can use them in your own time. What was weird and what was wonderful about this story? What questions might your friends have? What do we learn about people? What do we learn about God and Jesus? What difference could this make to your week ahead? It's really valuable to think about what differences it make actually in life. And who might be encouraged to hear this story from you this week? If you'd like some help in reading the Bible, then uh, we'd love you to just go to our website and hit the connect button there, get in touch with us. And uh, yeah, we'd love to get in contact with you and help you to understand how to read the Bible more. The best place to do that is to join a life group um, where people study the Bible together weekly. Um, so again, you can do that through our website, the big life group section there. Um, sign up to join a life group. We'd love to um, help you to join one that works for you. Um, but to finish today, I want to come back to Thomas's response to Jesus where when he realizes that Jesus really is risen, he says, my Lord and my God. I just want to lead us in a, in a time of quiet reflection, understanding that God is real and that God's with us and that he can lead us in our thoughts. And just for us to have a think about what would it mean for us to respond to Jesus in that way? For us to say to Jesus, you are my Lord and you are my God. Now, perhaps you're already a follower of Jesus and you've already said that, you know, at times during your life. But it could be good to just revisit this idea and to, to talk to God about, okay, is there any areas of my life where it would be helpful to refocus my life under God's authority? You know, and just to, to refocus parts of your life on Jesus. And, and to take that opportunity now. Or if you're not a follower of Jesus, to think about, well, what would it look like to actually say this and mean it? To say to Jesus, you are my Lord and you are my God. What benefits would that bring to your life? What changes would it mean? So let's take a 
few moments of quiet now, and uh, it's you know sort of sort of a prayer, uh, sort of a, a a quiet time, sort of a meditation, and think through these words that Thomas said all those years ago. First, let's think about Jesus being Lord. In the stories we have of Jesus, he, he had great authority. He would speak and, and creation would do what he told it to do. You know, storms would get calmed. Um, plants would grow or wither. Uh, he, he taught with great authority. He had power over evil. His words seem to change lives. And what does it mean to put our lives under his authority? And to do what Jesus commands us to do, in particular those two great commandments, to love God with all our hearts, minds, soul and strength, and to love our neighbour as we love ourselves. And this idea of, of Jesus being God, you know, God who's always existed and created absolutely everything that we can see and all the things that we can't see. God who knows everything, who sees everything, who knows your deepest thoughts, who knows how many hairs there are on your head, who knows you better than any human being could possibly know you, who knows you better than you know yourself. What does it mean for Jesus to be not just a person who lived 2,000 years ago, but also God, the one with that amount of power? Who holds our lives in his hands? who also importantly has demonstrated his love for us through his life and his death and his resurrection. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that we've got nothing to prove to you that uh, there's nothing we can do to make you love us more. There's nothing we can do to make you love us less. You've made that clear. Thank you for your unconditional loving grace that you brought into the world in your body 
as Jesus. Help us to believe. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.